All right, open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 29. And we're going to start by reading verse 31 through 35. Lord willing, with this outline, we'll, uh, we will get through quite a bit here and, and get into the beginning of chapter 30, at the very least. But Genesis 29, starting in verse 31, is where we're going to uh, begin with our outline, and this outline is entitled "The Sons of Jacob." Uh, I will tell you, it's not all the sons of Jacob, but we're just getting started with uh, with this interesting household that it is to follow. I told Rebecca earlier in the week, it's like watching a soap opera, trying to put outlines together for Genesis 29, 30, and 31. Uh, he's just pulled and torn in every which way while Laban's just going over the top and, and I'm giving too much away already but uh, if you get a little dizzy or lightheaded understand it's natural with the amount of things we're going to try and chase down uh, in the next couple of Wednesdays Lord willing Genesis 29 verse 31 and when the Lord saw that Leah was hated he opened her womb but Rachel was barren and Leah conceived and bare a son and she called his name Reuben for she said surely the Lord hath looked upon my affliction now, therefore, my husband will love me. And the, the name Reuben means behold a son. And she conceived again and bare a son and said, Because the Lord hath heard that I was hated, he hath therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon, which means heard. And she conceived again and bare a son and said, Now this time will my husband be joined unto me because I have borne him three sons. If you might recall, uh, Rachel was the one he desired, the one he loved, the one he thought he was marrying, and this is her older sister. Uh, so that, that battle is not over. The, being, uh, the feeling of, of, of longing for her husband is still residing in Leah's heart. She says, born in three sons, therefore she called this one Levi, which means joined to. And we'll, we'll speak to these meanings a little bit more as we go through. And she conceived again and bare a son, and she said, Now will I praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah, which means praised, and she left bearing. Uh, and that's just for a season. That's not forever. Rachel, like Rebecca and Sarah before her, was barren for a time. We see just, just a, a glimpse of this there in verse 31. She's barren for a time. But I, again, want to remind you that Sarah and Rebecca also spent seasons uh, of barrenness at the beginning of their marriage. Uh, quite a while for Sarah. During that season, God opened up the womb of Leah, who was not as preferred by Jacob. And she gave birth to four sons in rapid succession, perhaps even in four years or so. What a blessing for us to read of this mother who's relying on the Lord, calling out to the Lord, acknowledging the Lord, giving praise unto the Lord for these boys. That's not something we see in today's age very often anymore. And it's not something we've seen in our study so far since Genesis chapter 28 from Jacob. So the very first point I want to consider is, what is what's in a name? Each child named by their mother based on her emotions at that time in this particular example as i mentioned reuben means behold a son simeon means heard or have been heard levi means joined to and judah meant or means praised and we see different phases of salvation too to these names and and some may know already i love doing word studies and name studies for this very reason as we considered the beginning of this study the four rivers coming out of eden or the garden of eden and how each of those four names had some kind of connection to fruitfulness well again if we look at the names of these sons in order we see different stages of salvation do we not consider it again behold a son heard 
joined to and praised. And that last one, Judah, that I'm going to give something else away. As we're following the promised seed, Judah will be the source for where that promised seed comes from. So it's fitting that his name is praised. Is any wonder then that, that it is by a son of Leah, Judah himself, that Jesus is going to come? I mean, as we really consider her involvement in these pregnancies and her constant mentioning of the Lord, uh, it really kind of points to the fact that she was likely pleading with the Lord, beseeching the Lord, as Rebecca did, praying unto the Lord that children might come her way. The names Leah gave her children expressed her respect and her regard both to God and to and for her husband. This is a woman desirous of the attention of the one that she is wed to. This is a woman that has waited a very long time to be married. Uh, and, and as sad as the situation is and how the traditions of man enabled Laban to spring this on Jacob, it doesn't change the fact that this is a, a human being with emotions who also had a lifetime of dreams for what her children would be like, what her household would be like, what her relationship with her husband would be like. So when we ask the question, what's in a name, I think it's pretty significant, especially in this case, the names that she gives these four boys. She's not expecting hope to come from her husband any more than she's expecting these children to spring forth directly from his loins. She's giving credence to God who's been involved all along. Maybe, and I don't want to read too much into it, but maybe Leah looks at her husband this way too. God provided for me a husband. Again, if she's anywhere near the age that Jacob was during Mary, uh, when they were wed, she would have been near 70. And if not, she would have been, I mean, she's not 16. She's, she'd have been up there. So what an interesting situation that we find ourselves in as we consider this, I'm going to call it this quarter of the household, and you'll see why soon. The second point that you'll see in the outline is a godly wife. It is taken for granted today. But there is a great value in finding a godly woman, in having a godly wife. I, they don't come out of the box that way. If you've got yourself a godly woman, uh, you call up her mom and daddy, and you maybe have a conversation with them from time to time, and, and necessarily think them 100%, but uh, make sure to acknowledge that they led her in the direction that she should go. And thank her for following. Uh, it's not easy to submit. Uh, and gentlemen, we know that because we submit to the Lord, but ladies have to submit to us and the Lord, and that's difficult at times, I'm sure. I can only speak for how I lead. But listen to the proverb, 30, proverb 31, verse 10, and you can go read the entire 31st proverb uh, for a more in-depth look at this, but proverb 31, verse 10 says, Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. This is how she is to be valued. She's rare. She's hard to find. And gentlemen, I don't give Valentine's Day messages, so this isn't me sucking up to my wife. This is me clearly pointing out that if you've got a godly woman, or if you're a parent to a godly woman, or if you're the sire of a godly woman, you've been blessed. They aren't common. Leah displays a, a reverence for God and how she... Uh, praises him for her sons, but she also has a desire for her husband. And, and, and I've, I've written ahead on some of these outlines, and she still has that desire all the way through the next couple of chapters at least. Again, it's not a hard or not easy to submit. And she's in a mess. 
a dastardly deal done by her father and Jacob, a continual situation where Jacob has to work to keep maybe a wife he doesn't want to get the wife that he did. And though we muddy the water as to what marriage should be, our emotions, our very DNA, will not allow for us to betray what God has designed for us. She's desirous for one husband. She's desirous and giving thanks to one God. Laban was the deceiver in setting up this bizarre marriage situation, but we do not read deceit, regret, or even anger in Leah's words. She doesn't name her children in a manner that would give us the, the thought that she doesn't like the situation that she's in. Her desires were after Reuben, and we see this in the text, that after Reuben, Jacob would love her. This was her desire. After Simeon, her desire was that there would be relief from the hatred of Jacob, her husband. After Levi, that her desire was that Jacob would truly be joined unto her. They were wed, but was he as involved as he should have been with these boys, with his wife? With, uh, with their personal relationship as well as with leading the home. And after Judah, and again, if we're, if we're understanding the definitions of these names correctly and seeing them to be phases of salvation, we see a type of maturity that comes about in how she names Judah. Because Leah's desire now is to praise the Lord. And here's the maturity part of that. Maybe you're here tonight and you're in a bad situation. You're listening, watching, whatever, and you're in a bad situation. Uh, maybe you've even uttered the words, I hate my life. Her desire in this very bad situation, this ugly situation, was to praise the Lord. She's not conditionally praising the Lord because Jacob was made to do any of the things that she desired after the three other boys. She's praising the Lord unconditionally. Why? Because he's good and worthy of being praised. When things get ugly, when they get hectic, when they get stressful, he's still worthy to be praised. If the news is to be believed, just from what I've read in the last 24 hours, China's ready to retaliate for these balloons we've shot down. If we go to war with China, God's still worthy of being praised. If we lose that war with China, God's still worthy of being praised. We got involved with a, a tussle this morning with Russian aircraft over Alaska. If you had to put five nations on a list to not get involved with picking fights uh, we've got the two biggest ones now and if we go to war with russia god's still worthy of being praised if we go to war with both if they split us in half if they wipe us clean out god is still worthy of being praised if the worst apocalyptic movie that you've seen in the last 10 years comes to fruition god's still worthy of being praised he changes not. His level of holiness does not waver even once, even a little bit. Why is the earth dying? Our sin. The fallenness of man. What we did. No, I'm not talking smog in the car you're about to drive home. What we did when we fell in the garden in and through Adam is killing this planet. But God is still worthy of being praised. It is sadly true at times that godly wives are forsaken. And therefore we can draw the conclusion that they are undeserved. Is there a godly enough man to deserve this rare 
more rare than ruby, more precious than ruby, woman that's described here in Proverbs 31. Let us labor to recognize the gifts of the Lord and give him grace, praise. Give him uh, the praise for the work that he had done. And in the next eight verses, we see more children. So let's consider uh, that before we continue on here. Genesis 30, verses 1 through 8. When Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, Rachel, this is the beloved, the beauty that he had set his eyes upon at the well when he slapped a kiss on her right away, we see she now envies her sister, Leah. And she says unto Jacob, Give me children or else I die. Now this is not like Esther's, If I perish, I perish. This is a very different uh, place, a very different motivation. She says, Give me children or else I die. And there's a lot of weight to this. And, and husbands, I, I really think it would be good for us to jump into the context of this. Give me children or else I die. I don't believe she's saying she's going to kill herself. And I really don't even think she's referring to the fact that her part of the family lineage will end with her. I think she is to the end of herself in her desperation for children, for her desperation for her connection to her husband in this way, for the lifetime of dreams she's had for raising a family. I believe she is saying to her husband, there's a part of me that's dying here. And she's dying in the most saddest way. She's dying on the vine. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and we see him mention God for the first time in a few chapters. He says, Am I in God's stead, who hath withheld from thee the fruit of thy womb? And she said, Behold my maid Bilhah. Uh-oh. We made reference of Sarah earlier, and we're seeing uh, an, uh, another Sarah tactic coming up. Bilhah, this name literally means troubled. She says, Go in unto her, and she shall bear upon my knees, that I may also have children by her. And she gave him Bilhah, her handmaid, or her female slave, to wife. And Jacob went in unto her. And Bilhah conceived and bare Jacob a son. And Rachel said, God hath judged me, and hath also heard my voice, and hath given me a son. Therefore, therefore called she his name Dan, which means a judge. And Bilhah, Rachel's maid, conceived again, and bare Jacob a second son. And Rachel said, With great wrestlings have I wrestled with my sister, and I have prevailed. And she called his name Naphtali, which means wrestling. So here in this new chapter, the beginning of chapter 30, we have Jacob's first mention of God in quite some time. Am I in God's stead? He says this in anger. And not only does he say this about uh, this beloved God who revealed himself, revealed his son as a ladder in a vision before, 20 years earlier than this, but he says it to his beloved wife. I must have been reading some of them uh, Enoch poems or whatever that we referenced earlier in Genesis. Uh, the way he expresses himself to the one he says he loves the most about the one that he should be loving the most. I feel like this truly speaks to the pressure of this complicated home that Jacob now finds himself in. Again, in context, he's got four boys with Leah. He's now got Rachel, who's to the point of death, give me children or else I die. And she gives him her handmaid. And it says right in the text, to wife, not just to, to uh, make love to and to have babies with, but to wife. So now he's got a third wife who's now produced two more children. The aggressive phrasing of Jacob in response to his, to his Rachel 
who said, give me children or, or else I die, are both proof of very little faith. For both of them, Jacob would not be asked to act in place of God if he had more faithfully been pointing to him all along in good times and in bad. There'd be no need for him to feel like he's in the stead of God. The dangers of attempting to manifest our own destiny is that for all influence, you will continually have to manifest that destiny. And you will eventually fail. You'll either never reach that goal or you will literally wipe yourself out. You'll tire yourself out to the point where your arms give away. We have three points for these eight verses as well. First, Rachel's shame. Second, the couple's shame. And thirdly, the path of Sarah, which I have alluded to already. First, Rachel's shame. Rachel, who was not permitted to marry until her sister was wet, now has a closed womb while Leah has delivered four sons. Might see a little bit of reason for angst. Uh, sisters, I'm sure, have rivalries even back then. Uh, but Rachel's clearly fallen behind. Few could imagine such shame and frustration as what Rachel is now going through. Her husband had to wait seven more years, work seven more years, just to have her, to have the opportunity to start a family and a life with her. If leading his home with the kind of reverence that even Leah displayed, Rachel might still find herself frustrated and barren but perhaps with a greater understanding of God's sovereignty and maybe even the ability to trust by faith in his plan. And I can say this with confidence because Rebecca did. Rebecca, at the end of her season of barrenness, is beseeching the Lord and having conversation with the Lord and pleading with the Lord. And even as the twins wrestle within her womb, she's able to have dialogue or conversation with God as he tells her what is happening. Well, Rachel doesn't seem to even know how to start that conversation. And if Jacob's accurate in his statement to his wife, she is looking to him as God. She is looking to him to solve this problem. In her own words, we find that instead she only knew judgment and wrestlings. That's what she names her children, Dan and Naphtali. Judgment and wrestlings. Rachel envied her sister. And envy, envy is grieving at the good of another. Envy is not good for anyone, the one who's being envied and the one who's doing the envying. No sin is more hateful to God than envy or more hurtful to our neighbors and to ourselves. When we begin to envy one another, even if both parties don't know it, you're creating a distance between you and that person. You're creating a great gulf that they now have to cross, and maybe they'll never even know they had to cross it. They'll never go far enough to reach you. They'll never do well enough to reach you. They'll never be kind enough or available enough or rich enough, kind enough. You've really put somebody else through it when you've put them on such a pedestal that they don't deserve nor have they asked for. She considered not that God made the difference, and that in other things she had the advantage. In fact, she had the love of her husband that her sister did not. I wonder if she considered the names that her sister chose for these boys. Let us personally uh, carefully watch against all the risings and workings of this passion in our minds, and we all have the ability to envy. There's not a one of us innocent 
from envy. I, I can personally tell you every article I read, I think, boy, I wish I could write like them, except one or two. Every sermon I hear, I think, boy, I wish I could preach like that. Perhaps you have the same, same issues. We need to repent. We have what God has seen fit to give us. Are we exercising what God has given us? Have we mastered what God has given us to utilize for the kingdom? Let not our eye be evil towards any of our fellow servants because our master is good. The one in which we serve is good and worthy to be praised. Rachel could not help but envy her sister and her envy created anger and disagreement between her and Jacob. Instead of losing his temper, Jacob should have prayed about the problem as his parents had done years before. Listen to this in Genesis 25, verses 19 through 21. And it had been so long, I even had to go back and, and, and see that they were both involved here. But it says in, in Genesis 25, verse 19, And these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padanaram, the sister to Laban, the Syrian, and Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Now, we can go back even further because we know the great prayer and planning that went into Abraham sending his faithful servant to find Rebekah. And we know the prayer of that faithful servant every step of the way as he went seeking after what would eventually be Rebekah. He brought her back that very long journey and presented her unto Isaac, and prayer continued every step of the way. But Jacob doesn't present this prayer. Uh, he doesn't present this problem. He doesn't present this concern to the Lord from what we can see in the writing. And as I said last Wednesday, Jacob's our writer. So I don't know that he'd have any reason to hide from us something that would have been there of a godly characteristic. The second point is the couple's shame. Can a couple that has words like this truly love each other as they proclaim? This distress is not from a couple without love. It is a couple without God. There is a tremendous difference between a couple without love and a couple without God. And, and I understand John's writing, so please don't misread me here. Uh, a couple can be very much in love that is not saved and do not know the Lord. But that's not the concern Rachel and Jacob have. They are a couple that have love but they've never involved God in this relationship. They've never sought God. I honestly don't know from what we've read where Leah found it. I don't know where she had such an understanding because Laban certainly wasn't teaching it. We'll see very soon that he's more involved in idol worship than he is in trying to figure out who Jehovah is. But this distress, again, is not a couple that doesn't love one another. I don't know that there's a couple uh, married or unwed that has not had a disagreement or a fight a time or two. I don't know that my wife's ever looked at me and said, give me something or else I die. Uh, but she's given me looks where I thought I might if I didn't give it to her. Leah had God but no love. She longed for her husband, as we see in the names of those first three children. She had provided four children to Jacob without at this point a bondservant. And we can see the clear difference, even in the names that she chooses for these boys compared to uh, Rachel's names of wrestlings and judgment. 
this these names are how she feels of God. And and again in their in their dialogue, Rachel and Jacob both recognize that, uh, or at least from Jacob's suggestion, uh, that he's not in God's stead. That God has a stead. God has a place. God is very much in control. We might think, boy, these guys are cavemen fools. No, they're not. In 2023, we don't recognize God as a place in this. We don't even recognize them as babies until they come out and they prove it. Who could say such a thing? That a baby has to prove himself to be alive before we recognize it, and yet that's where we are in 2023. Jacob recognizes God has a stead here, a place here. I'm not God, he says. I'm not suggesting you talk to your wife in this manner. But at least he pointed to God somehow. At least at some point he's giving credence over to God has to grant this child. Great, great, great grandma Eve knew. Certainly Sarah knew. She laughed within herself, but they still found Isaac. Rebecca knew, as we just proved from the text we read. So this brings us to that third point, the path of Sarah. I do not know if the previous chronicles were read aloud by Jacob to his new wives. Uh, remember, Uncle Ishmael, perhaps, might have been the name of the old chronicles, but, um, but the, th the things that brought Ishmael into this world are still very much at play here as we see these two boys come. If he had read them himself... He would have known how Sarah's plan of helping the Lord turned out for everyone. He probably would have known from firsthand experience how strained that relationship was with Ishmael and his family at this point in history. We haven't even gotten to the, to the conflict yet, but at this point in history. He, if he had been read this story or read this story to his wives, he would have read an example and a great, uh, as we saw when we were studying it, a great need for us to wait upon the Lord. The opportunity that we have to beseech God's plan and the blessed need that we have to pray for patience. All way better uh, marital practices than here's my handmaid. Go in unto her. Using a, a bond servant or a concubine was an acceptable social custom of the day, but it was not acceptable before God. And of course, it's not acceptable today. Matthew Henry wrote, Had not Rachel's heart been influenced by evil passions, she would have thought her sister's children nearer to her and more entitled to her care than Bilhah's. But children whom she had a right to rule were more desirable to her than children she had more reason to love. As an early instance of her power over these children, she takes pleasure in giving them names that carry in them marks of rivalry with her sister. See what roots of bitterness and strife are, and what mischief they make among relations. I think Matthew Henry makes a great point here and something that uh, I had not really thought about until I put his quote in this outline. Those are her sister's children. Those are her nephews. As weird as the situation is, these are her husband's boys. And she speaks in a more desirable tone towards her bondservant's children. Uh, looking away from the having the babies on my knees so they're mine thing, these are her bond servants' children. 
I'm not saying she shouldn't have had care and compassion toward them, but she shows zero care and compassion towards the other four. Let's look at the next few verses, and, and we'll close pretty quickly from there. Genesis 30, verses 9 through 13. When Leah saw that she had left bearing, she took Zilpah. This is her maid. This name means trickling. And gave her Jacob to wife. And Zilpah's, Zilpah, Leah's maid, bare Jacob a son. And Leah said, A troop cometh. And she called his name Gad, which means a troop, or uh, it, it can even uh, mean fortunate. And Zilpah, Leah's maid, bare Jacob a second son. And Leah said, Happy am I, for the daughters will call me blessed. And she called his name Asher, which means happy. Uh, we don't see as many godly references in these two names as we saw in the first four that she had given to Jacob. But by this time, she, as the text says, had left bearing. Uh, and and we're, we're given, like we were at the end of the last chapter, uh, a phrasing that might lead us to believe that she's done bearing children. Uh, and, and I'll just leave that there. But uh, again, Isaac thought he was going to die 20 years before this, and he was wrong too. So sometimes we maybe don't know exactly what God's up to is, I guess, the lesson there. Seeing what had worked for Rachel's barrenness, she now employed the same tactic with her bondservant, Zilpah. Jacob now has four wives. This is the same tactic Sarah had employed. And though I'm sure Ishmael was grateful, it didn't bless a whole lot of other people. Now there's a mess, a, a, a troop, if you will, of children, and Rachel still has not bare Jacob, even the first. Dr. Henry Morris wrote, Our own culture today is so different that it is difficult for us to understand the attitude of mind which would give Leah and Rachel vicarious satisfaction when their husband would have sexual relations with their respective maids. The matter of productivity was apparently of such overriding concern that the question of physical jealousy of their maids did not enter much into it. Perhaps they also reasoned that the more sons they had, either directly or by proxy, the more security they would have in old age. Uh, Dr. Morris also reasons that for Jacob, his varying stays with each wife was simply keeping the peace. Uh, and if you're still reading that Dr. Henry Morris commentary that I had recommended in the beginning, you, you recognize he uses that phrase a lot, that Jacob's just keeping the peace. Just keeping the peace. Uh, be wary of one who comes and says, peace, peace. Uh, and I think we see that with Jacob here. I, I wonder if there's a day after all of this is over that Jacob turned back and said, what have I done? What have I gotten myself into? Were, were his hands not busy enough with the work Laban continued to pour out upon him with the expectations of his father-in-law? And as we closed last time with the idea that he's essentially worshipped Laban uh, up to this point because whatever Laban said the traditions were, he continued to bow down to uh, and, and now we see that that same spot, that same place that was given over to Laban is now given over to his wives. The idea of keeping peace will put some of the worst idols on that pedestal that we will ever see in this life. I would prefer that we keep God's word. I would prefer that we preach God's word and teach God's word and speak God's word than keep the peace. If you do those things with God's word, you won't know a whole lot of peace in this life. But you'll find yourself preaching eternal, eternal peace, eternal security every day. 
What a joy it is to know that 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 we are pointing to is soon on the horizon. I I don't know how much darker it's got to get before folks start to understand there is no hope in this life. There's almost an assurity that it's going to end in war very, very soon. Uh, some things will end. Some things will go on because we know what Revelation says. But I, I almost think we're already so deep that it's unavoidable. Will you continue to look for hope in this land, in this world, in your jobs? All of that is vanity. I don't care if you run your own business. I, I don't care, uh, I, and, and I love Derek dearly, but it, being in computers is not the most safe thing in the world either. Being in the government won't be the same either if we go to war. Suddenly all those things, my secular job included, that we're doing with the time that we have now won't be as important if we go to war. Also won't be as important if we get called home. So why is it so important now that it would lead for us to miss worship? to miss time together, to miss time in praising God for all of these wonderful things. As we said on Sunday, the, the tender mercies of his love that has drawn together uh, the first few weeks of 2023 for us. I don't know who could deny it. Who could deny his presence in this place? Well, I ask that you continue to pray for me as we go through this study. Uh, I believe I've already sent out the outlines for what comes next. If not, uh, you'll have to let me know, and I'll make sure that I do. But uh, very interesting stuff ahead for Jacob and, the, and this, this sad, large family uh, that he has now created. Let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. Isaac, would you pray for us?